pervasiveness or hiding from God's calling. I think about Moses in the Hebrew Scriptures as one who helps us understand self-abnegation. Moses heard the call of God. He knew that God was calling him to to liberate the Hebrew people from underneath the oppression of the Egyptians. But he was really feeling inadequate and insecure to follow God in that calling. And so I think he probably um, made a number of excuses as we read. You know, he ended up uh, getting Aaron, his brother, to go with him. Um, He felt like he wasn't a a good enough speaker. And uh, he he really struggled to accept God's call on his life. And I think really struggled to know who he was. Um, Standing before you today defies repressive systems, ideologies, and paradigms that have threatened to keep me in a posture of self-evasiveness. And I imagine that each of you also has um, experienced, in one way or another, repression or suppression of various belief systems that either keep you in a place of self-abnegation or pride. Christian contemplative spirituality has confronted this particular struggle in my life and has made a way for me to really live the good news of the gospel and its liberation. I've spent, as you've heard, I've spent nearly 16 years cultivating communities um, and building communities among children who are victims of AIDS, former child soldiers and war brides, abandoned widows, children with HIV and AIDS, and victims of human trafficking. Though there are many good things happening among our brothers and sisters around the globe that are in need, I've also seen how some of the best intentions can breed violence, like manipulating religious conversion for a bowl of rice. It seems that we are often asleep to our unconscious motivations, and contemplative spirituality helps us wake up. We need a deep spirituality to live with redemptive impact in the world. No matter what channel of culture you find yourself in, whether that's the public, private, or volunteer sectors of society, contemplative spirituality addresses our divine humanity, supports us in making redemptive impact in the world, and begs three purifying questions of us. Who are you? What path are you on? And how do you connect with God? So first, who are you? Not where are you from or what are your interests and what's your reputation, but who are you at your core? One of the greatest spiritual writers of our time, Henry Nouwen, brought attention to the lies that we often listen to and let define us. Maybe you're familiar with Nouwen and these lies. Drawing from the temptations of Christ in the desert, Nouwen illuminates for us that we too are often tempted to define ourselves by what we have, what we do, or what others say about us. If we live these lies, we are subject to doing more harm than good. We exploit one another and the entire created world without realizing it. And so it's not enough to just claim to follow God or to, to be a Christian. There are these unconscious motivations in us that though we may think we're doing good things and we may think we're hearing from God, we actually may be causing more harm than good. And we may actually be a poor representation of Jesus. Gandhi said, Jesus was an extreme. 
extraordinary person, it's too bad that Christians don't look more like him. As Christians, we know that these lies are the framework of our false self. Our true or essential self knows that we are the beloved of the Most High God. Our divine center, our core self, knows that we are the beloved children. We have divine DNA. Divine DNA. This means that we are capable of extraordinary, exquisite, creative work. That means that by the grace and presence of God, we really can change the world. But it's not going to be easy. The signs of the time are troubling, and you know this. You're not sheltered from what's happening in the world. Poverty and exploitation, war and terrorism, global warming and overconsumption plague our planet. It is estimated that 27 million people are victims of modern-day slavery, including all forms of bonded labor, like the commercial sex industry. Today in Calcutta, some of my friends are struggling for freedom from such a degrading trade. Though there are marks of beauty, creativity, and justice in the world, we have a long way to go before our world is fully redeemed. God knows the world needs us to engage in the creative work of the Great Spirit. Though the presence of God is within us, we are also human. And in our humanity, the struggle is finding and living from our true essential self, the self that most reflects Christ. In only a few years, Jesus, because he knew who he was, literally changed the world. And he challenges us to follow him. So, who are you? Even in your good works, are you motivated by what you have, what you do, or what others say about you? Or are you living from that true divine center, your belovedness? Contemplative prayer helps us hear the voice calling us the beloved. Secondly, What path are you on? A few years ago, my husband Chris and I had the privilege to make pilgrimage along the ancient way of El Camino de Santiago, the third most sacred Christian pilgrimage after Jerusalem and Rome. You may have heard of the recent independent film uh, called The Way. It's in theaters now and produced and directed by Emilio Estevez, starring his father Martin Sheen. The film really captures the transformational nature of pilgrimage, which is an historical Christian practice. But we've gotten kind of disconnected from it in our modern day. The people have been walking this particular route, um, El Camino de Santiago, for more than a thousand years, and Chris and I were able to join them for nearly uh, nearly 33 days, walking nearly um, 800 kilometers across breathtaking mountain passes, lush vineyards, and through the countryside, the northern countryside of Spain. We stayed in monasteries and pilgrim houses all along the way, and it was truly magical. We felt like we had been transported. I remember constantly remarking to Chris as we walked day by day that it felt like we were somewhere between heaven and earth. It was the most amazing experience I've ever had. There was a broad path option, We could have taken the easy route, avoided the Pyrenees Mountains, 
or opting to ride a bike or take buses or taxis. But instead, we chose the narrow way of walking with our packs on our backs, putting one foot in front of the other day after day, minute after minute, hour after hour, walking approximately eight hours every day. Starting out, we thought, how hard can it be to walk? We do this every day, right? Well, my husband and I are not outdoors people. And we've spent most of our time in urban centers in the world. And my husband likes to joke that he figured, hey, I, I run through airports all over the world with a pack on my back. How hard can this be, you know, to walk every day for 33 days? But we soon realized that we weren't conditioned for this kind of journey. We, uh, suffered, lo- we suffered injury, loneliness, boredom, and the anguish of being alone with ourselves, not offered the constant distraction of digital static that can keep us from the pain and the joy of being human. The narrow way of pilgrimage was difficult. It required sacrifice of particular comforts and numbing agents and suffering of the body, the mind, and the heart. But it was at the same time a path of wholeness. Through our sacrifice and suffering, we experienced a depth of purification and healing and joy that we never dreamed was possible. We were graced with new insights and angelic friends along the way who were provided at just the right time. The narrow way that Jesus calls us to truly offers us abundant life. It conditions the soul for transformation. Pilgrimage of authentic life is a narrow path that chooses our divine center regardless of the pain, suffering, sacrifice, and risk. But our society and modern culture wants to avoid all of that. Even in a lot of Christian experiences, we want to avoid the pain, the suffering, the sacrifice, and the risk. And yet that is the very key to abundant life. Contemplative prayer helps us find and stay on the narrow path. Thirdly, how do you connect with God? Word Made Flesh, the international nonprofit that I'm a part of, um, it's an international community, and we've established communities among former child soldiers and war brides in Freetown, Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone is one of the most devastated countries in the world, and yet it's one of the places I hold most dear. Uh, Chris and I made our first visit to Freetown at the peak of the war over Blood Diamonds, and maybe you've seen the film, I think, with that very title, Blood Diamonds. It, it you know, really articulates and, and gives you the visual for, for, for the facts of what has happened in that country. At that time, when we, Chris and I visited, uh, 60% of the country was still controlled by the rebels and hungry, injured refugees, children displaced from their parents, and victims of brutal amputation were flooding into the capital city. It was like nothing we'd ever seen. At that time... Um, we had the opportunity to meet some of the young girls who had been uh, taken from their families and forced to become war brides, basically um, forced to give of themselves sexually to the soldiers um, to serve whatever uh, desire the soldiers had. And many of these girls were gang raped. Uh, I mean, young girls, you know, as young as 10 or even 8 years old. And they had been inscripted and... Um, held, held captive for 
several years. And so as I listened to these girls' stories of the horrific crimes that these soldiers had committed in their lives, I was just dumbfounded and obviously brokenhearted. And I wanted to blame someone, like someone's responsible for this, you know, and this desire for righteous justice, you know, was rising up in me. And I was angry at those soldiers. And then my husband and I were able to go to a camp of soldiers who had been recently disarmed, who were voluntarily leaving the ranks and, um, and giving up their arms. And we sat with these soldiers, some of them just boys themselves, and listened to their stories of how the soldiers had come to their village and forced these young boys to commit terrible atrocities to their parents and villagers. Um, Some of these boys were forced to take the machete of the soldier and and cut off the arm or the leg of their parents and um, commit murder and horrible things. Um, It was either that or or the worst things would be done to them. And they were just children, and they were at the mercy of the adult, these adult soldiers in their life. And so we heard their story of how they were inscripted into the forces and, and given injections of drugs to keep them numb and aggressive so that they could continue to, to commit these acts of violence throughout the country. And then they were given young girls to do with as they please. And as I listened to these young boys' stories, I thought, man, they've been victims too. And these victims became oppressors and victimizers. And suddenly it was like, who is there to blame? Who can I blame, you know? And it was very difficult to make sense of. And so when we got home, we were sitting around the dining table with some friends, and we were recalling these horrific, traumatic stories that we had borne witness to, And after describing these things, my friend looked at me and asked, Do you ever doubt the goodness of God? Immediately tears welled in my eyes, and I said, Yes. This had been after about seven or eight years of being heavily uh, involved in, in global poverty and issues of injustice, and I had just come back from witnessing, when I thought the world couldn't get any worse, you know, I had just witnessed the worst of the worst. And I said, yes, I doubt the goodness of God. But it felt like a confession for me. It was like, can I doubt the goodness of God? Like, I do, but is that okay? I'm a Christian. I should be confident in the goodness of God. But in those moments, I wasn't. Have you ever felt that way? Has life ever delivered you such a blow that you doubted the goodness of God, or have you witnessed the suffering of others so much that you wonder if there really can be a God? I mean, these are big questions. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where our faith and our spirituality has to prove itself. In the face of such kinds of injustices and crimes and um, traumatic suffering. Well, I certainly have doubted the goodness of God. And what I've learned is that practices that formerly sustain us in our faith journey sometimes fall short. And though that can be troubling at the time and feel like we're a little off balance, it's actually an invitation to go deeper with God. An invitation to a deep spirituality that sustains us in the world with all of its suffering and crimes against humanity and the planet and 
in all of the twists and turns that our personal life takes. Contemplative prayer is a way to rest in God. It's a wellspring of life for the arid space of our soul where questions and doubts linger. One of the doctors of the church, St. Thomas Aquinas, was known to have said that there are three vocations in life. The active, the contemplative, and the mixed life. Unlike times past, we are privileged to live in a time when we can live the mixed life in extraordinary ways. Unlike those Christians who've gone before us in our history, it was like if you wanted to give yourself to the active life, then you did that. You went out into the world and you moved from place to place, and maybe you're an evangelist or a missionary, but if you wanted to give yourself to a life of prayer, then your option was to join a monastery and be cloistered and and to give yourself completely devoted to prayer. But we're living in a time now when we can bridge these two dynamics and live as contemplative activists in the world, people who are deeply rooted in their divine essence and also actively engaged in society and culture. Jesus said that if we want to lose, or if we want to find our life, we must first lose it. Sounds like a contradiction. But actually, this is pure wisdom. It is supported, it's pure wisdom, the key to true happiness. Contemplative prayer supports living in this paradox, this perceived contradiction. Dismantling the false self, losing our life, while simultaneously helping us to find the courage to, real our, to live our real, true, essential self. So how do you connect with God? And ultimately, to your true essence and your calling. Contemplative spirituality is some of the greatest wisdom in the Christian tradition for connecting with God and our true selves. It's supported by prayer practices such as Centering Prayer, Lexio Divina, Breath Prayer, and the Prayer of Examine. Contemplative prayer is not a new idea. It's as ancient as the 3rd and 4th century desert mothers and fathers. And saints of the church like John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. Contemplative prayer is simple, but it's difficult for the false self and the ego. It cultivates within us this internal posture of surrender, another kind of thing that our society does not promote. And even our Christian culture sometimes struggles to really teach us how to surrender. It teaches us to consent to the action of God within us, allowing our unconscious motivations to be purified so that we live more often from our centered belovedness, making optimal redemptive impact in the world instead of breeding more violence and more exploitation even in the name of Jesus. Our lives are spinning at the mind-blowing speed of technology. Let's dare to listen to God in the silence. And so, instead of speaking about contemplative prayer for the next ten minutes, I want to invite all of you to come into the silence with me. The mystics say that silence is God's first language, God's mother tongue, and yet we're not very familiar with this language of God. And our modern day world doesn't really afford us uh, much interaction with the silence. And so, in these remaining few minutes, I just want to invite you to uh, readjust in your seat, 
so that your back is completely against the back of the pew and both feet are on the floor. Your spine is straight. Shoulders are kind of back. We're opening up the heart center. And uh, it's been said that when we move into silent prayer, sometimes people are a little concerned because what if they fall asleep? We talked about this last night at dinner. And it's totally fine if you fall asleep. Like, that might be the most spiritual thing you can do right now. Seriously. The thing is, our lives are so full. And they just get fuller and fuller and fuller with every advancement um, in society and and technology. And um, what we find is that when we stop to be still and silent, uh, we often realize how tired we are. But if the person next to you begins to snore... My teachers say that this is a good time to just kind of put your hand on their leg or their shoulder to let them know that their prayer has become audible. Okay? So we don't want to be overly distracted by a cacophony of students snoring or faculty snoring. So just gently touch those folks and let them know. Now, the practice of centering prayer is recommended um, for 20 minutes two times a day. But I'm not going to force you into that. Um, at 3 o'clock today in the chapel, for anyone who might like to go deeper with this prayer, you can join me for an afternoon prayer sit. But we'll spend about five minutes in silence. And so just go ahead and gently close your eyes, and your palms can be up in a receptive posture or down, just rested on your legs. And just take a, a couple of deep breaths. We um, tend to, to breathe very shallowly, uh, preventing uh, good oxygen from getting into and flowing through our body. And so just take a few deep breaths to center yourself and bring to mind a sacred word that can be your symbol of consent to God, your symbol to consent to the action of God within you. So this could be a word for God or a characteristic of God. Some people like the Aramaic term Maranatha, which means come Lord Jesus. It can be any word. Um, The point is we're not going to reflect on the word. It's simply a symbol. And so as the thoughts begin to come and go, um, as they always do, and we might have distractions from outside of us or within us, and as we just become conscious of those distractions, gently recall your sacred word, as your desire to return and give full attention to God. And so I'll sound the sounding bowl three times and we'll come into this great silence together. And then after about five minutes, we will um, come out of the prayer with the sound of three chimes on the bowl.
leave this space. I invite you to come to the Student Center and see us. We also have a table set up with some free literature for you that could be helpful for your spiritual journey. We also have some materials for sale that help support the work of Word Made Flesh. And Chris and I will be around to sign books, especially for Brad Thorne. I wanted to let you know that I'll be there to sign your book. And um, anyone else who might like to purchase one. So, And again, um, if you want to go deeper in this prayer, join me today at 3 o'clock, and we'll have some talk back time there, as well as a talk back in the coffee shop. Now, I know for some of you this semester, I know for some of you, that was the first time you've paused even for a few moments. So it may be a different practice to you, but I hope, hope you enjoyed it. So let's thank Felina again. Go in peace. You are dismissed.